You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. Oh, I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out. Welcome to Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR. My name is Joseph Toscano. The wonderful Kelly Whit- Whitlock's here. Whitlock, that's right, I play games with her. I call her Kerry, I call her Kelly Whitlock Whitworth, our great producer. And once again, she's put her hand in the barrel and pulled out an extraordinary guest. And guess what? He's in the studio. This is the first guest we've had in the studio for two bloody Yes. Oh, thank you, COVID. Yeah, no, no, it's just COVID. Yeah, thank you. So, so we will call this our post-COVID interview. What do you reckon? Yes. I, I've got it. The gentleman in the studio is Mr. Herbert Herb Patton. How are you? Oh, look, I'm very fine. And um, it's been a pleasure to come here. And um, been a few years since I've been in the studio or through here. But overall, it's uh, it's. Quite an overwhelming part of my life now right. about uh, various things about what I'm doing, especially with the gum leaf, of course. Yeah. Well, I can tell you there hasn't been many many people in the studio <laughs> for the last two years and it's only now that we're occasionally letting somebody drift in and obviously a man with your talents, we would be we're very happy to have you here, Herb. Now, look, look. I'm be speaking to you for about 56 minutes. It's all about you. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to ask a few questions and uh, y- you can answer them or you can deflect them. And I, I'm not going to tell people what your special skill is, but I'm sure that as we go along, you'll, <laughs> you'll open that little container <coughs> and you'll entertain us. Yep. Now, Herb, what year were you born? Well, I was born in 1943. I was down in a place called Albost in the Snowy River in East Gippsland. I'd done most of my primary school and then a little town called Numerella, which was about four miles coming this, uh, on the Princess Oliver coming to Melbourne out of uh, August. Where I grew up there, there was about 15 different families. It's a sort of a type of fringe dwelling area, like, you know, we used to slap up camps and some of us had houses, but mostly I was related through my, um, Mother's mother's, uh, my grandmother, all her uh, brothers and sisters, which they were all first cousins to me, and uh, apparently my uh, great-grandfather, George Thomas, he had 
14 kids. 14. He's and, a very uh, active bloke. Well, you know, <laughs> no TV them days. Uh, uh, yeah, how, how many, you have one wife or? Well, only had the one wife. Yeah, 14 yeah. kids. Uh, they were yeah. busy. Yeah. And it's, it's quite interesting to think, how did I get my traditional connection? Because when I grew up, yeah. there was no such thing as uh, traditional ancestors and mm. And because I never never had the upbringing, because my father, like he was from another tribe, but uh, six hundred miles north of here, called Dudawarawaru, which is forty miles east of Wangaratta. Mm. I didn't know this when I was growing up as a kid. It was during the nineties when most Aboriginal people in Victoria, <clears throat> possibly right across Australia, started to um, connect themselves to their own traditional peoples. And uh, <clears throat> uh, the apical ancestry of uh, for the uh, Gunai Kurnai, which they call it now, it used to be Gunai, and Kurnai was uh, the other name, so they brought the two names together and called Gunai Kurnai. But I did hear the word Gunai when I was a little kid from a couple of various elders, and uh, <clears throat> we knew that we were Aboriginal people, but there was nothing like growing up, if we were growing up in the Northern Territory mm. through the traditional people, the way they grew up, at least they had uh, song and dance, they had ceremony, they had language, they also had uh, various uh, Aboriginal laws and customs. They even had totems, you know. We never grew up with that in our in the Gippsland. Most, the majority of Aboriginal people right across Victoria and I believe there's possibly and were about, I didn't know at the time, but as, as time got, went along to, with the historical uh, check-ups on the, um, <clears throat> what the first uh, uh, European explorers connect, uh, met Aboriginal people in the Gippsland area and right throughout Victoria, we were, there were around about uh, 32 or 34 different uh, tribes or, mm. or groups. Mm. And... Uh, um, because the group that I I I, uh, I claim to come from would be the Brabalong clan. Now it's very interesting about that because my great grandfather George Thomas. Now how did he get the name Thomas? Where's his tribal name? Huh? Mm. He was only a kid, mm. and it was at the time when uh, Aboriginal settlements were uh, starting to pop up right throughout the state, across and very uh, uh, through other states. In 1863 is when um, Lake Ties, which was called Bunyanda then, <coughs> there was a bloke called John Bulmer, and he, he was uh, one of the ministries from the Moravian missionaries, and they had a great, uh, they had a great sort of uh, uh, feeling about it, you know, how Aboriginal people were treated at that time, and uh, that's how a lot of us uh, mm. possibly w- would have been slaughtered right out, and you know, out of existence. And I often wonder, you know, my uh, <clears throat> my inheritance because he, my great grandfather George Thomas, he was found in between the Tambo and Nicholson River. Mm. Now that's where the Brubbelin clan comes from. Now, who was his father? He had white blood in him. Mm. Was his father? A, 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 I, I assume it would have been a European bloke, because the women at that time were very vulnerable to rapes and mm. various things of the early frontier days. And 
uh, he was just happened to be uh, <coughs> working half caste at that time, mm. and uh, I'm still sort of tossing up a coin whether what what tribe do I really belong to. Mm. It, it's it's a, it's a sixty four dollar question. Oh, it is. It's very difficult. Me. It's very difficult. And I'm not the only one. No, I mean, a lot there's, of there's people. There's many other groups, you know. A lot of people. Mm. A lot of people <coughs> are in the same position, mm. and, and the more. Colonisation affected a place, as you mentioned, the Northern Territory. People know where they come from. Well, that's right. Yeah, you know, it's and very difficult. I was very uh, mm. intrigued when I met uh, uh, David Gulpel, the yep. late David Gulpel, mm. when he first came to Melbourne in the seventies. He was only a teenager, and it was just incredible to see a traditional person speak language, dance, mm. and then have a yarn with him, and he's he's, he's talking about. Uh, <coughs> Historical background going mm. back thousands mm. of years. Going back a, a few few years, um, what was your mum's name? My mum's name was Susan Murray. And what type of person was she? Well, she was just an ordinary uh, housewife. My father mm. worked in the sawmills 20-odd years. Mm. Uh, I went to different areas of sawmills, sort of nomadic sawmill man he was. Uh, now in our club, Terrace, Can River, Waigara. Numerella mm-hmm. and Orbis and back in Numerella. So over those years, we, he, he moved around different places. I went around about seven or eight different schools in those towns before I uh, before I was twelve or thirteen, and we lost him when he was when I was around about ten. Mm-hmm. He passed away, but um, <clears throat> the uh, uh, actual um, Gippsland area of uh, uh, sort of grew up there, and then mother sea change and remarried again, and we mm. moved to New South, and uh, it was over in a place called Naroom on the south coast. Well, she uh, ended up there for forty odd years, mm. and my younger brothers and sisters they married into some of the uh, different people of Aboriginal people from over in the south coast, New South Wales. Right. So my stepfather at that time. He was well-known uh, identity of the many uh, uh, families, and that's how I come to know a lot of the South Coast Aboriginal people through him. Right. But my mum's father, his name was Herb Murray. There's was was another thing there. He was born in Warrnambool, and his father <coughs> was William Murray, my great-grandfather, and he he come across from South Australia. I don't know much about mm. him. Mm. Now... He married into a, a European lady in Mortlake, and he was born in Warrnambool Hospital. But in the times, what I know, when he was probably in his teens, in his twenties, there was a lot of Aboriginal people. Some of them did, did get away from the settlements. There were some very harsh laws. They couldn't leave settlements at the time. Mm-hmm. But down, down in Warrnambool Western Districts, you know, there was uh, Lake Condor and Framlingham. Yep. The old one way back is Ebenezer, which goes back to uh, just about not, not time after Cook came out, uh, probably in the 90, uh, 1870s, 79 or something like that, 1880s or something like that. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's quite interesting, you know, trying to connect traditional skin name or tribal name to myself. Mm. Uh, my father, George Patton, now he's... Um, He's got, they're a famous name, the Patton name. You know, his brother Jack Patton, they were did the um, uh, were part of the walk off of Cumber way back in 1938. <coughs> and um, 
he was a very educated man. Um, my uh, grandfather, John Patton, he's, uh, he had a bit of white blood through him uh, from the intermarriage of his, his, grand, his mother. Mm. When I, met, I met my grandmother, father's uh, mother, and uh, she had a little bit of Afghan uh, heritage in her. So yeah, right. It's quite unique mm. in relation with her, uh, her, uh, her great-grandmother, her great which is my great great grandmother, she was a full blood. Full blood, right. And she had three children to this bloke called John Patton. Mm-hmm. Now John Patton, he came out. There's a few couple of there must have been a big family from England, and they came out possibly, probably after the when the, uh, the the first, second, third, fourth fleet or something like that. More or less like free settlers coming yeah. out at the yeah. time. <clears throat> And uh, <clears throat> some of them went to America, and I've got cousins in America. In America, yeah. In the Patton clan. Right. And I believe I've been, uh, even that uh, General Patton, that, uh, as you hear in the army. Got Good old George, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I believe I'm related to him. Oh, right. But, uh, uh, you know, it's quite unique. Uh, the the closest to full blood would have been my on my father's side, mm. which is her, her name was Black Maggie. Right. And it's it's it was quite you, you know, daunting when in in the sixties, we used to get a magazine called Dawn Magazine. It was printed by uh, mostly in Melbourne here, in the period of time when Sir Parson Nichols was at his peak, developing the average advancement league, and uh, <clears throat> way back in the sixties, and uh, he also was part of my mother and. Father, when they got married down in um, 1939, down at Cheltenham, mm. and he was uh, part of the ministry of my wedding. I got a beautiful photo of him, of the uh, wedding they had in 1939 when my father and mother got married. Because they lived in Fitzroy. In Fitzroy, my, my, too. My, yeah, just my, around my, the corner. <laughs> well, in 19 Little George Street, just oh, up here. Just up there, yeah. The, that's where all my, my mum and my brothers and Sisters, they all grew up there. Yeah, right. And there was a couple other Coolidge yeah. families that grew up yeah. in there. So how many brothers and sisters did you have? Oh, in my father's uh, biological, there was, um, was it me, George, Edgar, William and Norman. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the uh, biological brothers. Uh, uh, then my mum remarried again and had another bro- uh, son, Wally. So he's, he's my... Uh, Stepbrother, but we mm. call them brothers, we like as we do. And uh, <clears throat> so we had, uh, my father had uh, seven kids, and seven then my mum right. had two more of them. But I can remember once in the 50s we came down from Orbos, and now during that time there was a meningitis disease that was striking right across uh, Australia and across the world, I suppose. Mm. And one of my brothers caught it. Right. And we come down and we stopped here in Gore Street. And I can remember yeah. living at the church in Gore Street. Mm. And I was only around about five or six, you know. Yeah. I can even remember Collingwood Town Hall. We went to a meeting there and me and my brother and sisters, uh, we flew up to the top of the clock tower. And oh, you, know, yeah. you know, kids, you know, always <laughs> yeah, yeah, searching yeah. things, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I can remember that every time yeah. I go past there in the train. You remember day, that, yeah. yeah. I've got yeah. that vivid memory, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, I've got a vivid <laughs> I got a vivid memory that I was involved. I used to sell papers on Smith Street from. Uh, ah. I can remember from um, 
corner of Gertrude Street mm-hmm. up to Johnson Street and mm-hmm. I could not go the Collingwood side. Because... I'd have to stay this side <laughs> because there was other paper rivals, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I can remember selling papers and the tram. The tram used to be a halfpenny for yeah, us. Yeah. A tram, you get on a tram. tram yeah. And the builder's arms, that was more or less like the greatest meeting place for many Aboriginal people. And I can remember going there as a kid. Mm. My father would sit me on the bar and, you know, make me, I'd sell papers that way. But, yeah. you know, uh, years later, of course, it was a great meeting place. No. As a matter of fact, that's where I met my second wife. Right. You know, well, and, we'll uh, get to that. Now, now, Herb, now, this isn't television. You've got this green thing in your hand. What, yeah. what, what are you playing with? Well, the gum leaf, to me, is a... It's it's a it's the greatest passion I've ever had as far as an instrument as a musical instrument. I was very fortunate to do what I've said. I grew up in August, a place called Numerella. When I was five years of age, I heard this sound of a gum leaf, where I lived in a little place we used to call the pit, and um, I heard it. And I just happened to be on my own. A lot of other kids around at that time. I just happened to be on my own, and I looked over this. Colburn, and there I saw this man playing the gum leaf. Now, I didn't know what it was, mm. but he gave his pot away when he was leaning against the tree and he pulled the leaf off the tree. <laughs> he had a look at it, and then he made a sound again. Yeah. So, and, uh, of course, I, 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 he was the person who did it. He was my grandmother's brother. Right. Uncle Lindsay Thomas was to call him. His nickname was Hobbs. And uh, years later, the research shows that he was part of the gum leaf band from 1920 to 1940s. So he was probably the tail end of the last, like, of many gum leaf players uh, in his time when before I was born, mm. 15 years before I was born, I was born in 43. Mm. But uh, he, that, that's, he never showed me how to play it. I just copied what he did in, off the tree. And, you know, he just made a little sound, sound like this, you know. We sort of practising away, you know. So I just picked a, um, a leaf right alongside me, million to one shot. Right. And I put it on my lips and I made my first sound. Well, the, the exhilarating feeling that it's still there today. So, right. So I guess that's why I'm more passionate as a gambling player than many people over the years, I've met a few, yeah. I could tell about the competitions that happened um, yeah. over the years in, uh, out at Miraburra Golden Wattle Festival, they had a, fest, uh, they had a what they call the Australian Gum Leaf Championship and that went for 20 years from 1970 to 1990, it closed down in 1990 mm. and uh, I, I appeared there about several times, I never won it. Mm-hmm. But I'll come plenty of times second. It's no, that's, that's, that's not know. bad, it's not bad. Well, it's, you know, being a young juvenile, gum, gumly player them days, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, And uh, I'll give them a run for the money now, though. But, uh, <laughs> I the, think most of them would be dead, you know. Well, yeah, obviously, you know, give them a run for the money. <laughs> I got a mate out at Mernda, he's <laughs> one, of the, one of the recipient players, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in the, one of the uh, old people's homes out at Mernda, a good mate of mine. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, What's, what's, bit, what's his name? Oh, well, oh don't yeah, worry, little, don't worry. Been a long time. Yeah. But, uh, he, you know, he, um, yeah. uh, there are a couple of players. So there could be a couple left. 
Oh, right. But uh, not many. Not, not many, many at all. No. You know, I mean, I'm I'm getting. I'll be another two years. I'll be eighty. Yeah. So uh, you know, they're. Uh, I know that one of the guys that did beat me on the day I thought I could have won. Yeah. He died uh, a few years back. Uh, Keith Gratz, Gratz, what's his name? Yeah. There was another bloke who kept pipped uh, me at the post. Was uh, Virgil Rutens? He was a uh, sort of a German copper guy. He was a good player. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. You know, I, I was just um, always come second. You know? Well, you've come first on this. Well, program. you know, you're right. first. You're first on the pro. You're <laughs> first on Radical Australia. <laughs> you, you, you want to give us a, a tune, mate? Yeah, look, I'll just play some little tune. Just a few little bird calls. This is. A, I, I've always done a lot of stuff with kindergartens over the years. I used to use this call to to get the kids to know what a black swan would sound like. And the black swan, when I grew up, we didn't name as a black swan. We had a traditional name for him. We used to call him the uh, Goodnyrook. And this is how he sounded. And that's how he sounds, and exactly like that. You're lucky, you're lucky mm. we haven't seen a female black swan turn well, up, you know. Well, I did. That was pretty good. Well, I, I, I remember, you know, I said I'll give it a go and see if <laughs> I can call them along the lake, you know, yeah, see yeah. if some in a lot of lakes, you know where to look. Yeah. And I started playing the thing, they come right up close, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to know what I was saying in, in, with the leaf, you know, <laughs> bird talk, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'd be wondering, who's this part? <laughs> and, and there, this there part? was another bird that I used to hear in the garden, he used to always raid fruit trees. And he was the um, uh, the uh, parrot. There's several different types. Mm. I can remember the King Rosella and that. And these sound like this. <laughs> so he'd go several different notes and calls like that. Of course, there was the... Uh, when we, we was kids, you know, we had uh, we had used to have a lot of uh, stories. My father, he was a bit of a story man, and he used to tell us sort of creepy stories, you know, and scare us. Or you know, well, I think that was more <laughs> to deter us from running out away from home, you know, and yeah. going down the bush and getting lost or something like that. And we used to hear what we called the mopoke. Of course, that'd be the barnyard owl, and we used to hear him down in, in, in the night time, you know, and he'd sound like this. So he'd sound like that, and um, we should be scared when we hear that, you know, as young kids. I mean, we're only. Toddlers, my father, like, you know, he was a very um, mm. sort of uh, all-round all type of uh, man with the people, you know, and a uh, good worker in his time, of course, in sawmills, and uh, <clears throat> out at Club Terrace. Mm. The most interesting thing I can remember when we lived out at a place called Erinundu Plateau. Mm. I think that's where the first Greenies had their protest against the uh, forestry uh, management. Right. yeah. And we worked on that plateau then, um, and I can remember, and then we come into Club Terrace, which is about 40 k's way out in the bush, nearly right on the end of the uh, 
Victoria Bar, New South Wales borderline where the, uh, <coughs> uh, the boundary is. And I, we're coming in one day on this truck. We're sitting on the back of the truck, timber truck. He had a load of timber. Mm. Uh, Mum was in the front with the little other younger babies. And then we did what run across us was, it, uh, was the uh, Tasmanian Tiger. Right, Tasmanian Tiger. Yeah, the first, really? Yep, Tasmanian Tiger. Nine in, about nineteen fifty-two. Right. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, how old were you when you kind of left school? Well, that was a, a toss-up because when we went to New South Wales, everything was happening. The new sea change, and I was just mm. getting on the twelve. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really wanted to go to school, and, and, you know. I mean, there was no. Pressure. Um, we, we a lot of little people moved from interstate at that yeah, time, yeah. and we used to chase a lot of seasonal work, like bean picking and pea picking. Well, since twelve, you've been picking. Well, you know, picking beans and peas. Right. Stepfather, he was. Uh, he, uh, later on, he, he was a professional fisherman, which I didn't know of until years later. Right. When he when he uh, used to set his own nets and make right. his own, you know, and do his. Lobster pots, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah. all the things like that, and also hanging nets. He knew a great deal about hanging nets and and making nets. Mm. And um, he also uh, that's how I got into fishing in Bermagui. I was only thirteen years of age when I started going on the fishing boats. Right. And they were little small trap boats. And then years later, I got into trawlers in Ulladulla with the Italians. And then years later, I went. End up finished tuna fishing. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a question, mate, because mm. my ancestors are Italian. What were they like as employers? Tell me the truth. Oh, look, look. <laughs> tough. Tough, tough. Tough, yeah. Tough, yeah. You, got, you had to be fair to them. Yeah. Uh, um, they didn't tolerate uh, anything like there was, there was no such things as marijuana in them days. No. You know, it's around, but I never seen it. There was a fair yeah. bit of little bits of heroin here and there, but, you know, yeah. we, I was in the right crowd. I mean, I. Yeah. I was looked after by him, and uh, I remember my first uh, weekly wage on the uh, trawlers was eighteen dollars, uh, eighteen pounds. Pounds. That was a I fair mean, wage for a young wage. bloke. Yeah, yeah. yeah for know. a young bloke. Cause yeah, eighteen pounds. I remember my, well, my father was working <coughs> in the fifties. He was getting. He worked in the mills. He was getting five to six pounds a week. So he, yeah, he well, got a bloody well, good wage, eighteen pounds for a young bloke. Yeah. Well. Um, you know, I got. I, I love tuna fishing, and that's mm. what I've done to South Australia seasons over the years. I retired from that in around about nineteen seventy six, seventy seven, mm. and uh, <clears throat> and uh, uh, but I've uh, I've always had uh, a very good. My job mainly in in, in in the tuna fishing, I sit on top of the crow's nest, right, and I used to be a spotter. Now I had phenomenal eyesight for spotting fish. Even my stepfather used to do beach fishing mm-hmm. uh, in, in between winters when I used to go home into the room there. And I used to see Brim come along the beach and mullet. And he said, where, where, where? I said, hey, look, a nice big patch come. Right. <laughs> and he said, oh, you got, you got, you, you're gifted. Yeah, I'm going to have to take you with me fishing. And uh, <coughs> anyway, uh, <coughs> years later, I'm reading about my um, father's father, George, uh, John Patton. Mm. He was a... He was a uh, black tracker mm. for the uh, Moama, lived up in Moama and around Swan Hill for years. He was hired by the police to uh, do tracking down. I think he 
solved about 30 crimes. That's according to Sleuth. Right. And um, I often wondered, you know, I didn't know that, but I, could have, I must have inherited the high side. Uh, and then even before him, there was an, a, 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 one of his uh, grand-uncles, uh, um, he'd been my great-great-grand-uncle, he was out at uh, our uh, Dirk, which is healthful today. Mm. And that's where the Aboriginal settlement started there way back in the 1860s, mainly in the 1835, 40s and things like that. <coughs> and uh, anyway, um, he was brought down with those uh, priests, uh, uh, trackers that came down to different states and he was one of them. And I still get a bit of a flack from some of the uh, Aboriginal people say, oh, you're... Just a black tracker, yeah. black yeah. tracker, you know, yeah, black yeah. tracker on your own people. On your own people, yeah. You know, but uh, yeah. that's happening. and that's just the truth, but mm. it was just the way things were authority, you know. Yeah, and, I, think, I think people uh, forget how difficult things were. Well, they were. They were really you know, difficult. You know, when I grew up in New Morel, I mean, we had welfare coming to you on the horseback. You know, I, I saw my first car around about... Or nineteen in the middle forties when I first saw my first time. Yeah. <clears throat> Only young and uh, mostly horseback, mm-hmm. and we used to have the welfare coming in. My mum always to say, "Now don't go too far, you know, or you might end up in the homes." Right. You know, that's what used mm-hmm. to be saying you might yeah. end up. You're going to be picked up. Picked yeah. up, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and there were a lot of people being caught like that because, but see, I was very fortunate and. I've had a very strong extended family. I mean, I had several uncles and aunties, mm, even mm. when I used to come to Melbourne, uh, mm. in, you know, when I was only uh, in my te- uh, primary school, only before my teens, you know. I've always had protection, mm. you know, with the guardianship of uncles and aunties. Yeah. Where a, lot, a lot of people didn't have that. And that's where I feel that we're uh, those vulnerable to uh, welfare grab. And they were always chasing the welfare, you know. They just had this... Sort of uh, just a sort of a role they had, you know, and, yeah. and Aboriginal people. I mean, the people on Lake Tyres, they were a lot safer on Lake Tyres, and and since they went off Lake Tyres, you know, they, they were open seasons for all these welfare. type of welfare, you know, authorities, yeah. you know. Now, you said you've had two, you got married, did you? Yeah, my first wife, I yeah. uh, sold a couple of wild shoes, only had two boys. Right. <laughs> Beautiful girl, still great friends today. Mm. And uh, she's still alive. But my second wife, we never had no children. Right. We were married for 30, 30, nearly 30, 33 right. years. Right. And she just died, passed away in 2017. What was her name? Lorraine. Uh, yeah, tell us about Lorraine. Oh, look, there's so much you could talk about her. She was, she was one of the community people here in Melbourne here. Uh, I can remember a couple of times as a kid coming to Melbourne, I can remember seeing her. I mean, there was no love then, days. I mean, we were just kids. But uh, <clears throat> she was one of the um, early uh, volunteer finders, founders with the Aboriginal Health Service. It was just around the corner from us in mm. Gertrude Street. Yeah. When it was on the corner of Gertrude and just down from the builders, I can remember there in the early 70s. And um, she was one of the founders. Her mother... Uh, uh, or the lady that uh, had part of the uh, early health service was Auntie Edna Brown. Well, that was her auntie, auntie, mm. <coughs> and she was involved with it. 
She was a phenomenal woman. I mean, she was, look, there's, I mean, um, she had a little bit of power about, you know, standing up for Aboriginal people. Right. And and, and she was, she was born uh, with, um, uh, half deaf. She had, uh, she caught a disease called blight. Right. Way back in the 40s. Mm. And she left, uh, I think it was her right ear, but uh, got affected. She could only hear in the 23% or something like that in the left ear. Of course, there was no hearing aids growing up with that. And when she first got her first hearing aid, it was just like a big haversack on her right, back. Right, yes. Really, <laughs> she was very ashamed about it. But uh, <clears throat> she learned to lip read very well. Right. So, okay. you, so, you could, so you couldn't talk behind her back? Oh no! I remember. I remember once. This is about three or four years after we got married. I was at the builders, yeah. and I'm, I'm going to pick her up because I never used to drink a day. But she used to like her beers, you know. Yeah. But she was never a drunkard. She was never an alcoholic. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I called in there one time, and, and she said, oh, "Put her hand." I'm like, "She's watching this lady over the corner." Yeah. yeah. She could read her lips. Yeah. Next minute, I see her. I hear up in the bun, took the urinate that I knew she was going to be on. <laughs> sure enough, she went over and she biffed her. All right. <laughs> now, that's the sort of woman she was. Yeah, yeah. And another time, I believe there was one of our great leaders. He's passed on now. His name was Bruce McGuinness. Oh, yes, Bruce, yeah, yeah. Now, Bruce and Bunda, they sort of grew up in Fitzroy. Yeah. Uh, um, before I came on the scene, yeah. and with Bunda, I met her in 1979. <clears throat> But during those 20 years before those to run the roost around Melbourne, and of course, Bruce, we know what Brucey achieved in his uh, time here in Melbourne. And at the Builder's Arm, there was a little bit of squabble between little fights and that. I mean, that was happening, you know. It was like a, sometimes like a bit of a bloodbath there. And right. Some Saturday nights, you know, people get uh, fighting and that, you know. And uh, anyway... This this barman, he, he or the owner, he bought in this big um, Yugoslav bloke. Yeah. And he was a big bouncer. He was just like Killer Kowalski. You know? <laughs> right, oh, a yeah. big bloke. I, mean, yeah. I remember. <laughs> I mean, this is before I met Bunner. This was in about eight or nine years, seven or eight years before I met him. Yeah. The story goes that he started to pick on Brucey. You know, he started yeah, yeah. to get the leaders. Well, my wife, when she saw that happening, she... Um, she, uh, she, she challenged him. She knocked him out twice. <laughs> I mean, he was a big bloke. He's bigger than you. <laughs> and uh, look, he was. Uh, I said, I said, the years later, I said, how come you knew how to? She said, she said, well, my brother George, we grew up in Fitzroy. She said, and they had to fend, and George was the greatest street fighter going. All right. And he found out the right way to hit a bloke under the chin. Where the where the nervous and knock them out. out. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was showing me with a knuckle, and he nearly, just by putting pressure, and he knocked me out. Out, right. And you know, yeah, and so the, the, I assumed you behaved yourself after that. Well, the the copper that the <laughs> coppers that came there that time, that I was told, yeah. uh, he was he was down Fitzroy, and uh, Noel Murphy was his name, and he uh, he was that intrigued with Bunter, and. Uh, <clears throat> Greatest mates, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they, they, she went to court, and mm. what I was told, mm. for the cordoner of public, and you know, he was cordoner of ruckus, everybody, you know. Mm. And, and uh, she won, won the cop over, you know. 
It's just mm. incredible. Yeah, yeah. I don't worry about the noise. Kelly, she does Whitworth. She does what she likes. That's why she's the producer, and we're just we're just the show ponies, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Herman Joe. But you know that. Look, Fitzroy, my wife. You know, yeah. look, she achieved that many different things. I mean, yeah. uh, with our Aboriginal uh, cement we got, mm. she she pushed for that because her her when when she came on the scene with the political movement, especially yeah. in the nineties onward. Yeah, that was when she was our first ATSIC councillor. Right. And at that time, uh, just mm. before John Howard came in. Yeah, well, she was elected. People forget that ATSIC was an elected body. Body, yes, yeah. Yeah, elected. Yes. She would have been elected by her people, which means yes. they held her in great oh, respect. Yeah. And she also had uh, had a mm. job, uh, a very uh, political job at the time with the Aboriginal mm. uh, Affairs Department down in the city. Mm. And uh, So, so, so what, did, what did you do for these 30 years? Well, well you know, I was in and out jobs, you know. Right. I mean, what I, type of things were you doing? Well, I was working, I mean, I worked in the water board down here in, yeah. Uh, yeah. in Melbourne here. I've done a lot of truck driving I'm, with the health service. I worked with that bus driving and um, right. mostly, uh, uh, you know, uh, roused about and then the Advancement League over nearly, nearly 40 odd years in and out of the Advancement League, different jobs yeah. in between the tuna season. Mm. Uh, the fishing we finish around about April every year mm. over in South Australia and then I'd come to Melbourne mm. and I'd be in the primes time for when uh, Natick was coming about and all the marches and things like that right at the front line with uh, Bruce McGuinness and yeah. uh, Bob Mazer and yeah. Ninonis and, uh, yeah. all, all, you know, Gary blo- Foley, all, you know. Yeah, apart from Gary, all blokes that have passed away and you, you're still Yeah, you well, I'm still, yeah, Gary, he's yeah. still there. We, yeah. You know, we, we, we could, we could uh, you know, we're pretty yarning, you know. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to have about ten logs. I reckon, to, I reckon. To, and, you know, <laughs> to, to hear us out, you know, on the bonfire yeah. because yeah. we got that much to is what we see together, you know. Yeah, a lot of things. <clears throat> mm. So, look, let, let's be realistic. Most Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders don't get to your age. Most people die. So what's kept you healthy, mate? That's a good question, but at the same time, I'm more healthy than I was 30 years ago. What do you mean? Well, I'm into water aerobics. I'm into gym. Mm, right. I don't drink anymore. I don't smoke any dope anymore. Uh, I've done that for thirty odd years. Uh, that's why I've got a little bit of a scratchy voice. You hear me now. Mm. Now it's been eighteen months since I haven't touched a bong, mm. but I do know that uh, all those years here in Fitzroy it was pretty heavy scene in the sixties and seventies, mm. and I lost a lot of mates, you know, through yeah. overdosing and uh, it. But I think, you know, I'm, um, I, uh, you know, I had a good cook. My wife was a good cook. And I think that's the main thing. And plus, when I was a fisherman, we used to have, you know, fresh stuff all the time. And I was part of the, uh, even though I was a spotter on the crow's nest, I was part of the uh, cook on the boat and I was to make sure we'd get the right stuff, you know, and yeah. fresh. And I think, you know, my mum was a good cook too, mm. you know, mm. and then... Possibly because I never grew up with the fast food too right. in my younger days, see? Right, right. and I think that's where the killer is, because I mean there's a lot of uh, we know that uh, there's a lot of uh, different um, stuffs in, in 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 the food. I mean I've never had any traditional stuff like I mean a rabbit or yeah. an emu yeah. or a kangaroo in our days, you know, yeah. Yeah. growing up. 
mostly I did work with the slaughter yard and part time after school and you know we used to get our tripe and yeah. sheep's heads and things mm. like that and mm. uh, but you know my father used to go to the butcher you know and we used mm. to we used to love mutton flaps. Oh, right, we used, yeah, we used yeah. to call it Curry's Delight. Curry Delight. <laughs> How'd you cook it? How'd you cook it? <laughs> well, it's from the auntie, <laughs> yeah. my mother's sister, she used to wrap them up in just like, you know, you get bacon yeah, yeah. and you wrap it up and put stuff inside it, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and you sort of roast them, you know, yeah, yeah. and you can cut them in slices like salami. Mm. Well, that's how she used to do the... It's beautiful and delicious, you know, oh, and you can't buy them anymore in the shops, the old flaps. No, you can't. You know? yeah. all, the, all these... Uh, you. Uh, um, ethnic people, they they love them more than we do. You know? Of course we do. Sheep brains, you know, and all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing better <laughs> than milk covered breadcrumb sheep brain well, for you know, breakfast. Oh, you know, I, it's I love wonderful. my sheep brains. You know, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you can't buy them anymore. You know, no, and, uh, no, that's it's awful. I think you know uh, determination. I mean, I've, uh, I've I've never abused my body much. I've, I mean, I like my. Food fast food from time mm. to time, but not on a consistent basis. Even no. now, yeah. I'd, uh, my, my, my carer at the moment, uh, he's been with us now for about four years, three or four years, but yeah. he'd been there before then. That He was my uh, uh, wife's uh, uh, grandson. Right, right. And we brought him up, yep. the fellow, but he stuck with us for nearly 30-odd years, you know. Right. Right. And he's my carer. Yeah. Well, look, look mm. hang on, Herb. People have been listening to you for about 40, 50 minutes, and they're thinking, this bloke's pretty sharp. What is he need a carer for? What, what? Well, well, I'm, as I say, <laughs> I, I can't get envious. I'm too old for that. Right. Uh, <clears throat> I'm, uh, um, i am I got, got my own house through... Uh, through me and my wife at the time went through the housing co-op, we still got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's there, it's comfortable with him, he's there, he, he cooks the meals, he's, you know, the best part about him too is uh, he handles all my financial business. I mean, right. I, I don't touch any of my money. Right. He pays my rent, he pays all my uh, insurance, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I mean, even this tri- scooter I got, yeah. we got him, we all put that, that together, I bought yeah. that cash. Yeah. And then he uh, he's got uh, insurance on that. Yeah, look, and it's I, it's kind of a reverse role, isn't it? Well, you know, the younger he, looking after the old, not the well, old he, looking he, after he the young. He really does. Yeah, yeah, he does. I yeah. wouldn't have it any other way. You know, no. I've been to my, I mean, I'm one of the founders, me and my wife, of the Aboriginal Elders Service over in um, uh, over in Brunswick, there in uh, Parkview Avenue, Brunswick, right. uh, Aboriginal Community Elder Service. Mm-hmm. We're the founders of that, me and my mm-hmm. wife. I can remember when we. Went and had a look at the land there when, at that time, John Kane was a premier. premier yeah. And then we yeah. had a bloke called Tom Roper, he was our Aboriginal Affairs um, State Minister. Yeah. And I remember seeing going to that land and seeing that there. So, as I say, my wife, she had a, she was a founder of uh, uh, many organisations. And, uh, you know, she left a great legacy for what she did, you know. I said I was going to write a book about it, but there's so many things. It'll happen, but, you know, I'm, I'm pretty lucky where I'm in today, you know. I'm, um, I mean, you're sharp, sharp as a tank. Well, I, you know, I'm, I mean, I think I've got, you know, I've, I've got personal religion, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm always, I've always counted myself as a more Christian than mm-hmm. traditional, you know. Right. You've got a particular 
Christian uh, group you follow? Or just yeah, I got our church out at... Um, which is what church is called, this? We call it Barrack Ministries out at uh, Advancement League. It's been going for over 20-odd years. Mm. And, of course, um, <clears throat> when my wife was alive, she wasn't, like, fully committed like me. Well, I'm a born-again right, Christian. Right. She wasn't. Yep. But uh, there's a big difference in, in how... Uh, how you uh, believe things and want to understand things. And in the later years, I've got more strong, and I think that's a great deal uh, on my integrity of being sharper. And, uh, I mean, you can hear so much things from people in the general from the community, but when you go to Scripture and you look at things and read things and then you get books written about within the Scripture, and then you re- mm. if you know how to um, search the internet for these particular uh, preachers, you know, some right. of them around about 80 years old, you know, they've right. been around, they've read, read about 50 books, 80 yeah. books, you know, yeah. and I get on their books, you know, mm. and I find that that just keeps me sharp, right. my mind. Keeps it, yeah. And yeah. I, I feel a great feeling, you know, mm. I wake up every morning. Yeah. Could I ask you a question? Mm. I mean, I, I've known a lot of born agains. Was it mm. something that happened in an instant? Or yes. What, uh, uh, would you want I, to describe I, what happened? Well, look, I, I blame my first wife for that. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, I went away fishing because I have to go for two or three months and I come home and she had another baby in the belly because right. I had two boys, two previous to that. Yeah. And it blew me away. So I didn't know what to do. I was, you know, I was thinking suicide. I was thinking of doing this and doing that, you know, and mm. none was, no one couldn't heal the pain, you know, and that. And mm. I just got on the road one night and I just called the Lord, bang. And he came, and I've never been the same since. Mm. Did, did he? Did he? When you said he came, did he talk to you personally? No, I saw a vision, saw mm. a light, mm-hmm. and there was no thought in my heart, and my, there was no pain in my heart anymore. No, it just went. Mm. It just went like that, mm. and uh, <clears throat> one thing led to another. I just seemed to run into the right people at the right time. Mm. Christian mm. people that still got some, an old friend that's still there. I met. Way back in 1978, I remember the exact moment. It was 1978, mm-hmm. the 18th December, 3 o'clock in the morning. Right. And this one I got on my hands and knees in the middle of nowhere. I didn't need a church, didn't need a preacher. No. And I just got on my hands and knees and bang. bang. And I haven't been the same, same since. Hopefully positive. Oh, very positive. <laughs> yeah, very yeah positive. the way you're talking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, That's yeah. good. It's good that you found found that. It's good because obviously you're in a very, very difficult place. Well, you know, I, I've learnt that over the years with my wife not being a more Christian and things. I've learnt what, what Bible bashing is all about, you know. Yes. So I, I, I don't do that. No, no. And uh, by the fruits, which mm. I'm doing extra well at the time, mm. as I said in the last uh, 12 months or so, I've picked up with uh, water aerobics and gyms. Mm. And, you know, I'm a lot more, you know, there's more purpose in my life than I've ever had. Well, that's excellent. Now, look, I think in the last 10 minutes or so, <laughs> you've got that um, gum leaf there. Have you, you got the energy to do something with it for yes. us? Yes. Well, look, I'll just... These are some of the little stuff we used to do. Right. When uh, we had a gum leaf championship in Miraburra and we had playoff tunes. There was one called uh, uh, Neighbours. We used to do Neighbours. That was the uh, the playoff tune. To everybody had to play that, and we get judged on that. <clears throat> Plus, we had our own little ditty tunes. But uh, I remember a guy called Les Hawthorne. He was a, 
he was the champion bloke when I first met him. I never used to think that Gumbly played could be played the way he did. Mm. And these are some of the little tunes that I can remember as as competition on those. But you know, been half or maybe a dozen of us that uh, fronted up for the uh, Gumbly Championship in Mirabar at the time. This is some of the little tunes was to come through. This one. I'm, I'm, look, I'm going to vouch for Herb. All he had was a gum leaf in his mouth. That's all he had. Nothing else. Incredible. What's the technique? Since I've been doing more exercise recently in the last, so with water aerobics and breathing and since I give away smoking, like mm. I've capitalised on hitting some pitch notes, high notes, <coughs> that I can... There's uh, <coughs> my smoking dip a little bit. Uh, the throat there. Mm. I've learned how to control and hold them notes. Right. Now, I've also, because I'm uh, the Australia Got Talent in 2007, which I actually won, right. but I give it to the young girl because mm. I didn't like the shonky contract that uh, Channel 7 gave. Mm. Uh, I didn't like it. What, what, didn't, what didn't you like about it? Well, it was from Sony Records. Ah, right. They wanted 14 CDs. Go overseas, all the costs that you had to accumulate to do them CDs, you had to pay it out of your own pocket. Out of your own pocket. And if they didn't uh, market your, if they didn't like your 14 CDs, <clears throat> and, and, and uh, they wouldn't market it, so you had to pay back. <laughs> and that young girl, Bonnie Anderson, mm. she lost badly out of it, you know. Mm. And uh, then she, when she came back, she still had, a, I believe, a five-year contract. Mm. So she couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Automatically, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was, <clears throat> and uh, um, that's just one of the things in show business. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of sharks around. Well, just since that time, and uh, of course, I've had a very great mentor I met in 1990. Her name is Professor Robin Ryan. She was a retired musicologist over 35 years at Monash University out at uh, Caulfield, out that way, and Monash. Yeah. <laughs> And she came to the scene uh, and, and met me and um, <clears throat> good Christian lady too and that made it a little bit more compatible with me with her and uh, she's helped me over many years and uh, we done that little uh, little CD called How to Play the Gumbler by, by her pattern and <clears throat> she marketed that in various parts of the world, some major universities and mm-hmm in uh, major places that she thought would be a great, you know, for the libraries. And out of that, there's been... Uh, you know, this first guy I got in touch with, he was a bloke from southwest China. Southwest China. And He uh, wasn't a gum leaf player. He's a gum leaf player. <laughs> from southwest China. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> now, they call it leaf flute. Leaf flute. Eh? They don't call it gum leaf, I guess. Right. But they don't use the various eucalyptus like I use. Right. Uh, uh, they use their own plants. And mm-hmm. different. One, one bloke uses a cabbage leaf. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Uh, another, he was going to South Korea and played from South Korea. But with all those guys that started to come together, there's over 15 countries that play the least similar to me, and yeah. I've been in touch with all of them. All of them. Not quite, but not what I just recently about doing eight and no, in about ten months, a bit over ten months ago. Uh, <clears throat> we had a Zoom, a Gumleaf Composing uh, involved you know, eight of us, eight, right. eight countries. Mm. And the guy that set it up, he's from Canada. And I've been in touch with him on uh, video chat. Mm. And also the other guy that uh, his mate, he's in New York. He, he, they went to school together, university, and he's, he lives in Canada. Another bloke lives in New York. Mm-hmm. And they, they collaborated together and they set up this Gumley Composium. Mm-hmm. And it was quite an interesting um, experience. And it opened up a bigger door. And uh, uh, at this time, this guy from South China blew me away because he's been playing the Gumley. Uh, he's got a Gumley or the Leaf Flute Association. Right. And he's got 35,000 members. <laughs> and he's got around about two or three hundred different gumbling players on his list. Yeah. Is, is there anybody in Australia, younger people in Australia, taking up the... Uh, Look, I haven't concentrated on that like I generally would have when I was yeah. back in the 90s when I started to do the gumbling, uh, writing a book and things like that with Robin, mm. Professor Robin Wright. That there are gumbly players around. The best part about it now is that this, <coughs> or last year, <coughs> was the 100 year celebration of gumbly players. Now, because of COVID, we couldn't have no, it now. It's no. actually extended now to the same festival over in Eden called the Goo Young Festival. And that festival is an Aboriginal festival that's been going in the South Coast for many years. And we're included in that festival right. with the Gumleaf 100-year celebration of Gumleaf Place. This year, this year, is it? This year, I'll be oh. going there for a whole week from the 1st of April oh. to the 9th of April. So what's the festival called again? The Goo Young. Goo, Goo Young. Young. Goo Young, yeah. All oh, right, just in case anybody's yeah. interested, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's pretty well advertised now mm. at the moment. Mm. But there's about several Gumleaf players, which I haven't met, I don't mm. know who, mm. that's coming there. We're all going to be camping camp house. We've got some very extensive things. I'll have my own tent on the, on the actual premises where we're going to have the festival. Mm. And I'll be uh, teaching people how to play the gum leaf. Excellent. And uh, I've found some great techniques that I have the way I, when I've done my book mm. way back in uh, 1993. <laughs> um, I've capitalised on, on a lot of ways yeah. of teaching people how to play the gum leaf. And... Um, have you, you, you got a, one of them cards, what you, you, you dress with a little, well, you only a little square card. And one I'll of those you. credit cards? Yeah, yeah, yeah all right. show you a little oh, trick. i got tons of credit cards. Yeah, you give me one of them and I'll, <laughs> yeah. and I'll show you how to, how, to, how, to, how to make a sound. All right, here we go. Now, you see, you see how I've got that like that? I'll put the leaf on top of on it. Top yeah. Like yeah, that, put, yeah, who's put and the just, leaf on yeah. top? Yep. And you just get it, get it, get it up. Yep. Excellent. No, it's got to be just right. Uh, yeah. Wet the top of your lip. 
when you when you make a sound, when you when you when you blow, just just go gently. Nearly, nearly there. Look, Herb, it's that, been a pleasure yeah. yarning with you. Yep. You're a great man, a great Australian legend. I hope you, I don't forget to invite me to your hundredth birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep saying that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my mind, my my some of my brother and sister still alive. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've got to put an eightieth birthday on for you, which I'm looking forward to. Oh, yeah. Well. But uh, uh, yeah. You know, I've, I've look. I've got a whole New Zealand life, you look, know. Look, 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 mate. You, I just feel you know. so grateful to be alive, yeah, yeah, to yeah. be, you know, there's nothing that doesn't bother me, you know. Yeah, look, look, Herb, <laughs> I'm 70 and I've been feeling miserable. I've met you and I feel like a young bloke again. Well, so, pretty, And yeah. I'm sure Kelly Whitworth feels the same. So yep. it's been a great pleasure talking yep. to you. We've got to, we've got to wrap up because yep. they're going to throw us out. Yep. But Herb, maybe we'll get you back when you for your eighties. Look, what do you well, yeah, no problems at all. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, all right, yeah. all right. That's a deal, Kelly. That's a deal. Yep. All right, no when problem. you're eighty, you'll come in and we'll get you a cake and yep. we'll, we'll, we'll do a, a symphony orchestra for well, you. Well, <laughs> well, that's coming up too. Excellent. Yeah, I've got a got a got a date with them in in future. Beautiful. Well, keep us keep us informed, Herb. Oh, look, there's so many things going to happen. Yeah, now. look after yourself. It's been a pleasure. Excellent. been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.